At the end of um, this morning's uh, message, I'll need to leave straight away. I have to go and speak at the, the Arabic church, so forgive me for that. All your complaints you can bring about next week. Living in Babylon 2. So this is the second part from last week, but it is part two in the series. Anyway, you'll work it out. So it's from Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 to 21. So we continue our series in the book of Daniel, and we spoke of how God in his sovereign power allowed Nebuchadnezzar to defeat Judah. He took exiles. He took them 1,500 miles away to Babylon. Amongst them are some young young men who are providentially placed in the centre of the most powerful kingdom of the day. They are there to be trained. So Daniel and his friends, having been torn away from their families, their friends in Jerusalem, by King Neb and his mighty army, because these... Young men come from noble backgrounds. The king orders that they be specially trained to enter the Babylonian service, the royal service. And these are God-fearing Jewish teenagers. They would have been between the ages of 15 to 17. They're ripped out of everything they have known. And now they're being trained or retrained reprogrammed to work for a pagan king. And one of the first things we learn in these verses is that despite the sin of God's covenant people, despite the the spiritual bankruptcy that characterised Judah's existence, there were still some who were faithful to God. who were committed to live in faithfulness to God, despite the fact that everybody else couldn't care less. And God said to them, if this is the way you live, you're going to be punished. And the believers, along with the the ones who compromise, along with the unbelievers, everybody gets punished equally. It's not like believers suddenly have this, this bubble of protection around them and they're isolated from all the damage and harm that is done to everybody else. We suffer along with everybody. And these were the committed ones. We can call them, as the Bible calls them, the faithful remnant. These are the remnants that the prophets will be speaking about. And through the lessons in Daniel, we will also be exhorted to live for God in an increasingly secular society in which we find ourselves increasingly so as exiles. We are told that if we don't catch up with the times, we will be on the wrong side of history. We need to follow the program, get on with the program. What program? I don't know, whatever they're working out. In, and they just, at the UN or at the Department of Education, I don't know, who's coming up with all this stuff? Well, they are. Who's they? Well, the powers that be. Despite what the world might tell us, we are not on the wrong side 
of history because we have a God who moves the wheels of history according to his purposes, according to his will. Knowing all of this, we can be patient in adversity. And last week we concluded with verse 8 and uh, this, is, this verse 8 is where we pick up to follow the rest of this chapter, this first chapter in, in Daniel. And verse 8 is, is a pivotal book. Um, it, once you understand verse 8, then you will, uh, it'll unlock a lot of the other stuff that happens in the, rest of, in the rest of Daniel as well. So let's look at it again, the resolve from verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Some of us might struggle to understand what the big deal is here. After all, they were far from home and no one back in Jerusalem would have cared less about their decision to participate. Almost everyone else was eating the food with no complaint. They didn't have a problem with it, so why should these guys? They might be forgiven for thinking God understands it's only food, right? You see, and, and, and we tend to always find an excuse to justify our actions when you don't want to do what is right, when you know what your obligation should be. There's always a way around. But there were at least three problems with the food served at the king's table. First of all, it certainly would not have been prepared according to the kosher laws of the Old Testament. So for the Jews, much of it would have been ritually unclean. Secondly, all the wine and most of the meat would have been previously offered to the pagan gods. So to eat that food and drink that wine in that situation would be to give tacit approval, endorsement to paganism. And we know that from the letters of the Apostle Paul, he picks up on this stuff in the New Testament, that this was not an issue for him personally, but that it could be for others. And so it's a matter of convictions and we need to understand where each other is on these matters. Thirdly, Daniel knew that sharing a meal from the king's table meant sharing the king's values. Perhaps we don't understand what sitting at the table means these days, but that is something that happens to us when we sit at a communion. We sit at the Lord's table because we are sharing the king's values, our king, Jesus Christ. But imagine if Instead of Jesus, it's a pagan king. What would we do then? In other words, they could be accused of knowing which side their bread was buttered, cozying up. And modern culture has no problem living by the old saying, you know, the old saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And we use it to justify assimilating to not look weird or different in front of everybody else, to the, despite how weird and wonderful everybody else's customs and practices are. But we should note that Daniel and his friends didn't say, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. And the Babylonians were already working on them. I mean, they, they 
They could change everything. They changed their location, their home. They changed their education. They changed their language. They even changed their names. But they could not change their hearts. Why? Because they belonged to God. The issue that confronted Daniel confronts us. So the question is, who does your heart belong to? When it comes to the crunch, when it comes to the challenge, who does it belong to? There's a well-known story of Eric Liddell, the flying Scotsman. He, uh, before Carl Lewis and before all the, the famous athletes that we know today, in 1924, he was the name on everybody's lips. The flying Scotsman, he, he won a gold medal already in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. He already won a medal in the 400 metre final, setting a world record. He beat everybody. But the, his, his pet his pet race, his, his favourite race was the 100 metre, the 100 metre race, which is the, the showcase event in any Olympics, right? The 100 metre race. And he, that was his favourite event and he pulled out. Why? Because the race was scheduled to be run on a Sunday. Although it might have been a trivial matter for us today, and we're asking the same thing. We say, what is the big deal here? God knows. God understands. For Eric, it was a matter of conviction. And, 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 and he was heavily criticised. And, and you know what? While world records come and go, the, re- the reason we remember him is because of his resolve. Nobody would have been speaking about Eric Liddell today, you know, 100 years later, if it was not for that act of standing up for what he truly believed. He resolved early in his career that he would race, do everything he needed to be the best in the world, but he will not race on Sundays. The world could have every other part, but his heart will be devoted to God and this was a defiant act in his life. And he did it respectfully. So when he already resolved years earlier what he was prepared to do and not do, when he came to the crunch, the decision wasn't difficult to make because he already resolved way back. He then went as a missionary to China, which was his passion. And there he died in the Japanese prison camp at the age of 43. 43. What have you resolved in your heart to do and not to do? Now we look at verses 9 and 10, the favour. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. Uh, notice that this verse makes all the difference when it says, now God. Suddenly God enters the picture. Not that God wasn't there before in the background, but here 
He is right there. The God who writes world history, runs the universe, is now acting on a single individual. Is God allowed to do that? You and I would would say. How can God just override the official's free will? Well, God can do anything he wants. He's God. He hardens the hearts he wants to harden, right? Just like he did with Pharaoh. And in his power and his grace, he has been changing human hearts since the beginning of time. And here he caused Ashpenaz, the official, to look with favour upon Daniel and his three friends. An important detail here is that this favour shown to Daniel and his friends happened after the resolve, not before. You see, faith is not sitting still waiting for things to happen, waiting for life to pass you by. It involves taking a step in God's name, acting upon his will and then leaving the rest to God. Lord, I've done everything you've asked me to do. We think of the words of God to Eli in the Old Testament. The old priest. This is what he said to him in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Those who honour me I will honour, but those who despise me I will be, me will be disdained. Those who honour me I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Does God show his favour, his blessing and grace to those who honour him? Yes, he does. But you generally won't experience his blessing until you respectfully stand up for what you believe. And what you believe and what we believe is not faith in ourselves. Oh, you can do it. Just believe in yourself and, 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 and refusing to be, to be pushed and, and re, reminding everybody of your rights. We don't believe in ourselves. We believe in God. And if we believe in anything about ourselves, it is because God is living in us and he is the one who is strengthening us. I can do all things because he is the one that's strengthening me. And we will see this principle applied many, many times in the rest of this book. So then we come to the test in verses 11 to 14. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the other young men who eat the raw food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. Daniel's proposal, as you can see, is pretty simple. It's not that complicated. He asked that he and his buddies be taken off the rich diet and be served on the vegetables and water for ten days. How bad can that be, right? For me... Oh, really? What, carrots every day? 
just water and crackers on it, not even the crackers. Um, and the official can then dictate the four men, as, as you know, us because they've agreed to this, they, they, they can then, the results will be visible. If their appearance is inferior to that of the others, that will be sufficient evidence to end the experiment right there. See, guys, look, here's the proof. Now, as you can imagine, over the years, uh, there have been many people who have tried to draw many lessons from this passage and apply it to their lives. You want to be a better Christian? Then you should start eating like the prophet Daniel and co. Saddleback Church, a really big church in the US, has the Daniel plan. 40 days to a healthier life. Faith, food, fitness, focus and friends. That's just one program. Also, others have come up with different versions of the Daniel diet. Seriously, folks, is, is, is this really the best we can do with the text before us? Is, is this really what the application of this book is all about? Now, please don't get me wrong. For all the benefits that you can attain from a, a healthy diet, the point here is... It's not about refusing to drink wine and going full vegan, right? It's, it's not even about losing weight and being healthy. These, these things have their important value. But whatever you do with that, whatever results you gain from that is only temporal. It isn't really of an eternal value. Here, what it does, it represents obedience and living wholly in a challenging situation. You're saying, this is where I'm going to make my stand. And I encourage people to live healthier lives, you know, control your diets and all of that. But that's not going to make you more holy. It's not going to change your eternal destiny. Only God can do that. Daniel and his friends faced one challenge and by God's grace they passed it. But there will be another challenge and another one after that and another one after that. And by the time that they get to challenge number three or four, whether they ate carrots or, or beans for the rest of their lives wasn't going to make that all that much of a difference. What did matter was the fact that this test, their position, would mark the rest of their ministry, the rest of their time in Babylon. If they failed this one, we might as well forget about the rest of the story. We might feel good about overcoming one test, one temptation, one trial, 
But get ready because don't feel too good for too long because there will be others. What about the results from verses 15 to 20? And we're just going to read verses 15 to 17. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds, all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. That's going to be important later on in the book, as we know. So God has caused these foreign officials to look with favour on Daniel and his friends. And it seemed that he has done so again as a result of the test. The guard didn't have to honour his word, but he honours his word, his promise, and allows the four boys to continue with their nutrition plan. Jenny Craig vegetable diet, right? By the way, it's also important that we notice the order in which things happen here. First, the decision is made to stand up for what they believe. Secondly, God honoured that decision by showing favour through the officials. Quite unfair, mind you. Thirdly, at the end of the ten days... God gave them wisdom and understanding. And you can hardly ask God for wisdom and understanding if you are living a life of compromise and just do as the Romans do. Just follow the crowd. You don't know what you believe and suddenly you turn up and say, God, give me wisdom. No, no. There are steps, there's an order of things. God honours those who honour him. And in this test, more was at stake than the personal reputations, like, okay, you lost. Even at such a young age, they understood their roles as they were ambassadors of the one true living God. They were representatives of God. And they needed to prove this not in a, in, a, in a sanitized monastery in the desert, in the wilderness, somewhere separated from the rest of life. No, they needed to, to live this out in Babylon, in the, this cluttered market of deities, idols, everything. That's where they needed to live it. High intelligence, hard work, dedication alone, discipline, all that stuff wouldn't have made an iota of difference to their success. Ultimately, all of these things were God's gift. You get that? Your intelligence... your understanding, your wisdom, the ability that God has given us to differentiate between what's right and what's wrong, it is a gift. Just like your talents, 
physical abilities or inabilities, they are God's gift. Nothing, nothing we should be taking for granted. You can do it. No, through God you can do it. Through his strengthening you can do it. And we miss the lesson here that Daniel and his friends were healthier, not because of the diet, but because God supernaturally blessed their obedience. While the Babylonians' plan was to teach them language and literature, it's all about education, right? But Daniel and co. had another much more important teacher who set the curriculum and that was God himself. They were learning through all of that, they were actually learning from God. And that makes all the difference. The legacy, verse 21. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Um, although it might not have seemed important at the time, the stance that Daniel took here would shape the next 60 years. Yes, 60 years of his time in Babylon. And, and just as the Lord preserved him and them through this initial test, there will be other tougher trials. And, and this last verse, what it does is that it tells us the rest of the story in a, in a, in a very you know, short summary. That God would preserve Daniel not just three years, not just through the, the Nebuchadnezzar, the king, but also through the entire exile, 70 years. Many Babylonian kings would come and go and Daniel would outlive each of them. And while Daniel found favour along with his friends before the king of Babylon, just remember that kings come and go. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. That is a big theme in, in the book of Daniel. It's never certain that your status in one administration is going to extend to future administrations. We know that from politics of our own day, when we get a new government, a new prime minister, a new cabinet, a new administration is overturned and new servants make up the rules and change things around and suddenly laws that were okay then, suddenly they change the laws and the freedoms and all and they directly impact each of our lives. This is why this is such an important book to understanding how to deal with, with society and history as Christians. Kingdoms and kings will rise and fall, but through it all, Lord, the Lord will keep a remnant for himself through the dark days. And he will one day establish his own kingdom that will be an everlasting one. And this is the hope that these Jewish exiles had 600 years before Christ. And this is our hope 2,000 years after Christ has come. We await his return. Some final lessons for us, just to 
summarise and, and, and recap what we have been saying. Firstly, the main characters of this passage aren't Daniel and his friends. It fundamentally rests on the faithfulness of Daniel's God, our God. You remove God out of the picture and it becomes just another human story, another novel, another tale. And here God doesn't abandon his people even in exile. In fact, we can say that God goes into exile with his people. Despite their disobedience, he is there with them because he's going to rescue them and bring them back. He will lead them and direct the wheels of history for his ultimate purposes. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in power. He wasn't. He was actually God. Secondly, these four men could have viewed their status as captives in Babylon from a negative victimhood perspective. They could have taken their anger against Nebuchadnezzar. They could have taken their anger against God for allowing this suffering. But they chose instead to see their circumstances more in terms of an open door to honour God before these pagans. Our intention to obey God rather than human beings does not mean that we must set out to create hostility each and every time. Taking a strong stand, taking a position does not mean being belligerent. I wonder if we could do the same in the different challenging environments that we increasingly find ourselves in, whether at work, whether at school, at uni. How will we behave? Thirdly, Daniel and his friends were willing to be instructed in the language and the ways of their captors. But this this did not mean being personally... uh, compromise or adopting the the values that stand behind the cultural practices. The fact that they managed to win the approval of both God and the king tells me that these four walked a very fine tightrope, a very fine line between these two extremes. They did it really well. They did it perfectly. Our kids are getting instructed from a pagan culture. Just pick up and read the stuff that is being taught now. From primary all the way to university. Boy, oh boy, the stuff that they're dishing out. And we need to pray to God for them so that they learn how to walk this delicate tightrope. Finally, you're probably wondering how any of us will find the courage to say no when we we need to. Like Daniel, you will find yourself from time to time, we will find ourselves from time to time, in a time challenge of moral crisis. The type that often you won't see coming in advance, it'll just turn up out of nowhere. 
and what seems to us to be a least important issue for Daniel was very important. It was very important to Eric Liddell. The world will not understand. Don't expect them to. Even Christians won't understand many times. But this young man had the, the proper sense of priorities. He knew that eventually you've got to draw a line. So make up your mind now, resolve now, that by God's grace and God's will, you will know where that line is. So when those moments do come, you have already resolved in your heart not to defile yourself, not to compromise, because your heart already belongs to God. Amen.